Welcome to Women Read Scripture. I'm Mariana Richardson. And I'm Christine Thackeray. And I'm Annette Marie Lantos Tilleman Dick, even though my kids don't like me to use all those names. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, those are all great names. They're meaningful to me. I know. <laughs> Today we're going to be talking about First um, and Second Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. I mean, we were talking about whether we say Philemon or Philemon or Philemon. Philemon. Um, <laughs> it's like Philemon. Uh, I know. <laughs> Philemon. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of these words and you know names we don't speak Greek anymore here, and so um, and also it's archaic too, archaic Greek and Italian. They don't speak Rome. You know, Latin. Latin is not there anymore, and so a lot of these languages. Uh, yes, we can just anglicize them all we want. So <laughs> nobody that's cares. Okay. It, there's that's not a right. correct pronunciation that we can <laughs> easily access. Exactly let's put it that way. I did want to say though, as we look at these letters, and and we'll talk in just a moment about the power of letters. But I do think that for me, I look at Paul and Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. He was basically a mission leader, a mission president, <laughs> very much so. And all of these people were his converts, but also his missionaries. And his leaders. And so, well, they became leaders. I think of our experience as a mission leader, how you teach them, you convert them, and then they become the leaders after you leave. Mm -hmm. And many of our missionaries have become bishops and stake presidents, and they're going on in leading the gospel. And so this is kind of what's happening with these letters as well. They feel like personal. I mean, yes. we, the power of a personal letter, we've kind of lost. I mean, we do emails, which yeah. is wonderful. But I mean, I it's love the instantaneous part of that. You know, I just send it and shoot it off, and then that person gets it immediately. But realize these letters oftentimes would take months and sometimes years to find the person. And yet, think how personal and how beautiful these letters were. And I'm sure that they were just treasured. That's the reason why we have them, is they would be treasured and read over and over and over again. And, and it's interesting to look at these these men, because, for instance, Timothy, as a former missionary companion, he also brought him into the church. But I love the way Paul describes Timothy, where he says, my own son in the faith. And so what a a beautiful way of describing their relationship. He also goes on, Timothy's father was Greek, but we know that his mother and grandmother were both Jews, and they loved the scriptures. They taught Timothy over and over again, and even Paul makes the comment that his mother and grandmother were such righteous women and had taught him since he was a little boy about the scriptures. And so because of that, he had the background. But I think it's also when we talk about the intimate relationship that Timothy and Paul had in that once Paul recognized in Timothy that he was going to be a leader in the new Christian church, he also realized because of this whole concern about circumcision, with the Jews, and the Jews would have known that Timothy's father was a Greek, that as an adult man, Paul did circumcise Timothy. And I thought, how painful. Poor Timothy. How Poor Timothy, but how devoted Timothy was to do that, but also how much Paul, because we know at the Jerusalem conference, Paul was adamant That's against right. it. 
but yet he also recognized something in Timothy and knew that he would be a leader to the Jewish converts and also understood having that, you know, mission that he was going to have to do that just to make sure that the Jews would listen to him. The other thing that I want to mention, though, too, as we look at, and I'm putting all these together, Titus and Timothy, Timothy, you know, first and second Timothy, these are called the, the pastoral epistles. And a lot of it is because we they're teaching them how to become pastors or mm-hmm. ministers. And so we're going to see a, a lot of Paul just teaching him, you know, as an apostle, saying, now you are becoming leaders. We need to have you understand that this is what a leader looks like. This is what a leader does. And along with that, just to talk about Titus, he was also converted by Paul. He attended the conference at Jerusalem that we just talked about. He was there. But he also was the one that took the first Corinthian letter to the the Corinth, you know, to the the people there. So Paul was the one that gave him that one epistle. So he was very familiar with this whole idea of a letter from Paul. It is also interesting that he becomes, you know, a leader in Crete, but also uh, Dalmatia, but they're far from Jerusalem. Very far. They're very far from Jerusalem, but he's sending these ministers out basically to the known world at that point, and Titus would become a church leader in these outposts of the Christian church. Now, Philemon, for me, was also an interesting story because he was also converted by Paul and his slave. We talked about the word Onesimus, or we could say Onesimus, right? Yeah. So he was a slave, and the interesting thing was he left you know, basically was a runaway slave to follow Paul. And Paul now is sending him back, but realized Philemon could kill him. I mean, he was a runaway slave. And so I think it's really interesting when we see the very first sentence of that letter, Paul describes himself as the prisoner of Christ. And of course, he's doing that to basically say, look, aren't we all prisoners or slaves of of something. And And then he asked very specifically, look, treat him as you would me, because he didn't need to under the law. He didn't need to. Right. I did want to talk just for a moment about some of the Joseph Smith translation changes. So if in the very back in Joseph Smith translation, I did want to point out, especially in 1 Timothy, which we're talking about right today, there are a bunch of different changes that are pretty oh, long and significant. Them. Oh, I'd lo- be so and interested. the main point of all of these changes is to focus on Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. A matter of fact, I did want to just point out in 1 Timothy 2.4, it's rather extensive, but what it is when it says, when you come unto the knowledge of truth, in basically in our scriptures, it kind of just ends there. Mm-hmm. But instead, it's the truth which is in Jesus Christ who is the only begotten Son of God and ordained to be a mediator between God and man, who is one God and hath power over all men. That's the whole part that is added in the Joseph Smith translation. And the purpose of that is to make sure that we understand that that is the truth that Paul is talking about. Along with that, also in 1 Timothy 3, there's this beautiful um, image of Jesus Christ being the pillar and 
ground of the truth. So he is the pillar and the ground of truth, that that is the image that he said, and that is Jesus Christ. And so I would say, too, when we look at these in 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16, it's the same thing. It's all about going back to the Savior, that he is the foundation of truth, that he is the one that we should look to. And that's what he's trying. Paul is trying to say to Timothy. But Paul does have some really difficult teachings, and I did want to just at least mention this and ask you why. I mean, basically, he's talking women and slavery, two pretty difficult topics. In uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says some pretty harsh things about women. He says, let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but in silence. And then he also is telling— But there was a, a Joseph Smith translation to that right. as and, well. And so, and it's taking dominion or being in charge because Greek women could take charge. There was this kind of flip where they're really trying to teach the priesthood. And well, so and it's about the priesthood because he has that whole section about this priesthood right. and that understanding that authority and then our role as women to support and love and strengthen and then allow priesthood members to be priesthood members is huge. And so he's reteaching roles. So I it's agree. not that he's handing down the women. He's saying there's there's a balance. And I think that when you take it out of context, as people do with Paul all, all the, the time. time. <laughs> well, and that's like, the reason why I wanted yeah, to bring it up right at the beginning is so that we don't have that discussion to taint some of the other things that we're going right. to talk about. So what are some other thoughts about this idea well, of women that I, he brings up? I think up? that, because, you know, to me, it's also very culturally bound, too, mm-hmm, you know, and mm-hmm. I think that that it's important. I And I am, as we know, there are issues. I mean, if you read extensively, lots of issues about who had their hands on these documents, how they were copied, what was added, what mm-hmm. was faci- what facilitated a vision that they wanted to put forward at that right. time. So I think it would be interesting to, you know, one has to look at the documents, that the original documents too that we have, but the original documents may not be the original documents, you know. Exactly. And so I, I am not averse to thinking that it's not necessarily, maybe it wasn't, because... Paul was very grateful to women. Women were, so it's a little far-fetched to me that Paul would say such harsh things about women's role because women were vital to the moving forward. And you hear him addressing people, you know, um, addressing, you know, when he writes to Philemon, he, um, Philemon, (laughs) he what it's anticipated that he writes, to, he addresses him, he addresses his wife right mm-hmm. right afterwards, and probably they think it was his son, the other person who mm-hmm. all worked in that house church that he had. Um, and you know, over and over again, women are an important, you know, when Priscilla and 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 he entrusts women both to do things for him and also women bring him news right of what is going on in the churches, and he listens to it very carefully. So it seems a little... But he doesn't say learn forever in silence. He says in the church. So it's if they're a... doing the sacrament, it is the priesthood right. that it's would have the prepared women. and administered the, the sacrament. Right. It wasn't a point where they could discuss together, they work together, you see them involved. But in a sacrament situation... 
you know, I that think is you're a right. priesthood. Ordinance. I think that there are there are ways of framing it that make sense as it is written. Right, because he's when trying you look to at teach. Other things. Um, there are right. other questions that one says this, and of course, people have questions about Paul's voice in many of these things. And some people say, you know, oh, James, let's just you know, or or um, some many are Hebrews. Right. We aren't even going to count that because it's not in Paul's voice because it doesn't agree with what they want to emphasize right. spiritually. Right. And yet when we come in with a slightly different restored gospel view from the traditional Protestant perspective, we're like, oh, wait, no, this stuff is really right. rounds out our understanding of the gospel in vital ways. So I think that you're right and I am right too, and both yeah. of them can be right at the same time. You and know what I mean? and I'll even add another dimension. This is a translation. Exactly. And so sometimes when we talk about the word subjection and silence, that those might have different connotations depending on the word right. that was used for translation. And so that's another thing to realize, that these aren't Paul's words because it's a translation. Absolutely. And as such, sometimes in our modern society, we have women and the word subjection. It just becomes so right. negative because of the connotation that we've put on that word. And so, and silence, that also is a word that would have a lot of negative connotation. Well, but can I just say this? So in when I went on my mission to London, there were a lot of Pentecostals. And I had, you know, friends that we um, brought back to church, and there was about four or five women. And during the, um, like, sacrament meeting, it was like, amen, hallelujah. And they do it right in the middle of every doctrine. But that's, but we don't do that. I mean, we show that reverence. And so if if Paul had been in that meeting, he would have said, okay, sisters, we love you, but we need to have silence, you know, like out of respect. Right. Because they were learning a new culture. Right. And so, but it was different because I was so happy they were there. And then... It was like so noisy. Everyone's that's looking very, at me as the missionary brain. But you know, there's a lot of enthusiasm. I know, there. but it was beautiful. But, you know, and it, righteous enthusiasm, yeah. but it wasn't, you know, the yeah. how we worship. Right. And so and, he may right. have been teaching because who knows, maybe Greek women. Well, it's <laughs> we're well, a little you know, I mean, it's, it, it's in, yeah, you know, I mean, I, know. Um, I mean it's it is interesting to me how familiar it feels. And mm-hmm. and there there is one other piece just before we leave this subject i have heard it oft said oh paul was a misogynist i do not feel that as i, I read don't think paul so at no. all i don't think, I think so either. that there are ways of perceiving things that feel like you know that can make mm-hmm. you have a strong argument for one um, perspective or another but i will say as a woman who has been now active in the church and in other places I, places I I do not feel misogyny mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine someone with that relationship with the Savior being a misogynist. I agree. You know? I agree. And that's the reason why I wanted to have this discussion right at the beginning, because I think sometimes pe- you know women especially will read First Timothy and be automatically turned off mm-hmm. and not see the doctrines, the beauty that is in First and Second mm-hmm. Timothy. And so I want to make sure that we have this discussion so that women would realize that's not what we feel he is saying. And that is not, you know, he, Paul was not a misogynist, right. that, that he truly <laughs> did love women and he saw them as, you know, partners in terms of 
the gospel and Christianity in general, you know. So. And tread lightly when you read those things and exactly. don't, you know, I, I think what Christine said is very interesting and, and valuable. And there are areas where don't dwell on those because that is not no, what it's about. That's not what it's, <laughs> it's about. It's not about. And a matter of fact, um, as we start, Paul gave us a standard for how to have a spiritual discussion right in the first chapter of First Timothy Verse four, he says very specifically, he said, and this is one of the things that he's teaching Timothy as a new bishop. He's saying, look, one of the things that you need to do is to make sure that false doctrine does not creep into the church. But when we're talking spiritual discussions, and as we're talking today, we're going to talk doctrine, he says, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister <laughs> questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. And then going to verse six. Uh, but don't, wait, don't skip verse five. Okay, verse go five ahead. You can so read verse five. Go for it. Um, now, the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. I mean, what a beautiful summary of the end of it all. So we have go, we're deal, delving into so many aspects and there are things about people being quiet and there are things about no endless genealogies. And, but the end of all of it it's is charity. charity and faith, right. un, not fake faith, mm-hmm. but real faith. Because that was the thing with many of the, Paul was a Pharisee and there were many Pharisees. Some of them, Nicodemus, I'm going to put, mm-hmm. had real faith. Many of them did. There were lots of them who, you know, they were children of God who were thinking, who believed this was the way to follow him faithfully and carefully. But amongst that group, there were many with feigned faith. Right. And I think we have to be careful in all of our context that we never are feigning our faith to be part of the crowd, but that we have sincere faith that leads us to charity. Well, in verse 6, the other one that I thought was interesting was he said, turn aside unto vain janglings. And I just love I that love phrase, that. vain janglings, which is fruitless discussions. And and I really do feel that oftentimes we do get into vain janglings, endless genealogies, fables, and questions that we really don't need to go down. And so as we go today, I just wanted to think about ways that um, he also talks in 1 Timothy 6, 4, he says, uh, that we have this problem with being proud. You know, it's my, I, I know what this means. We're, we're proud knowing nothing but doting upon questions and strifes of words whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmising, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds. So during our spiritual discussions, hopefully, especially as we talk about Timothy, Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, that we keep that in charity and faith unfeigned, and we're really careful about vain janglings, you know, as we go forward. I, but I vain love... janglings are tempting because oh, it is yes. hard <laughs> to have I those corner Christine. discussions. That's why everybody loves Christine because Christine <laughs> thinks the vain janglings Janglings. Are you know they are. <laughs> special, special charm. All right, I know. I but, love it. But, vain jangling. you know, um, what, since we're talking about translation and since you turned aside, what what you were reading, I love in the in the um, the King James version, right? What it says, for which some having swerved have I turned aside unto vain janglings. Oh, I, his his language is 
fantastic. He is brilliant. I mean, I, I think that it would be so fun to go through his letters and find because people do it with Shakespeare. Right. His How great many phrases. of these phrases are absolutely right. from Paul? And, right. and you know, from, right. I mean, they've been translated the by brilliant translators, mm -hmm. of course, but they are well done. They're you know, and they are brilliant. Yeah. Fun. And they're still fresh. I know. They are they still are. so fresh. They are. Well, and as we move forward, because of that, he instead says, we must be an example of the believers. And so I know, Annette, you're going to be talking to us about how important it is that we're careful as, you know, as believers in terms of our example. That Paul talks about that in lots of different places that we've read, you know, the mm -hmm. Corinthians with others. Maybe it's, he, he makes this larger point that, yes, as you come to understand the teachings of Jesus Christ, who is the great Jehovah, who has condescended to come to earth, which the end of which is charity, and that is it. You will, your hearts should be changed enough that you don't need these laws, that you will want to do what is right. And so it is true that in that sense, the law is no more of import. However, it is really important to understand that flaunting certain things can impact others in negative ways, can cause them unhappiness and you can say well I don't care what others think but he is imploring people to care what others think because it can injure their faith it can mm -hmm. hurt relationships it can do all those things um and and I I think Paul is an incredible example with these beautiful letters that we have remaining of someone who poured himself into trying to not only preach the gospel but teach it and help those who have become leaders um I was thinking as I was reflecting on these letters of Paul from Timothy, how comforting and inspiring it must have been for Timothy to know that Paul, who, was, who had some illnesses, who was in jail periodically, was thinking about him in the midst of all of these things. And, um, and it, it recently, just recently, I had an experience um, that reminded me of how they must have felt. And that was one of my eldest son went to Salt Lake to talk to the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles about something. And um, that's great, you know. And I, had, I was in the midst of my other things. I went up, I went, took a long trip to visit a friend who had been in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And I was there. She, thank goodness she was doing better, but emerging. And um, I'd gone out to get something. I came back, and somebody said, oh, your phone rang. I couldn't hear it. I just looked down in time to see on my phone screen Jeff Holland. I mean, you, I mean, I was like, what? What? And it just reminded me of how Timothy must have felt. When he got that this letter. letter that, Paul, that Elder Holland, whom we've been praying for, and that... You know, at, at first I couldn't, I couldn't understand what it was. It was remember Elder Holland, you know. I was like, no. So I missed the call, but I picked it, and I called, and phone picks up in this ebullient voice. Mm -hmm. I just, it was, and I just thought of Timothy and how he must have felt these careful, deep insights that Paul took the time, trouble, and resources to share with him. And um, 
it because it was hard to describe the exhilaration mm. I felt, you know, at that. Um, and I just think that these, it, it really felt to me, you know, also knowing that Elder Holland is getting better and that he is really improving, that the Lord is listening to our prayers uh -huh. because it's been an ongoing thing. I have to share with you another immediate experience that I know isn't completely, it is part of this, but how the Lord answers our prayers. To, we were in fast and testimony money meeting, just the last one, and um, in, in the Kensington Ward in Maryland. And it was a lively meeting. I had wanted to stand up, but I couldn't. So many people oh, wow. were bearing yeah. their testimony. It was wonderful. That's amazing. I had a little rule that my sister taught me. She said, if you want to bear a testimony, you have to sit and count to 10 slowly. And then if nobody gets up, then you can get up. That's a good <laughs> lesson she taught me. She knows me. And I couldn't get up because it was so, so it, it really was time for it to close. But a little girl runs oh, to the, runs to the podium sweet. and says, I had to get up and bear my testimony because I have been praying and praying and praying for a puppy. And I just found out I'm getting a puppy. Oh, she said, I and I know it. Heavenly I Father listened to her, but no, wait. Meeting is supposed to come in, but another lovely woman, brilliant <laughs> musician with seven children, who happens she's on the verge of moving now, rushes to the podium oh. and says, I also have to bear my testimony to say that God answers prayers in different ways. Oh. Because my children also have been praying and praying for a puppy, and they are not getting a puppy. <laughs> it was so wonderful. I and love then it. finally, I love it. this man in the ward who has an interesting mixed past. Has, is doesn't move fast going up mm -hmm. with a little dog. Oh, brings his dog <laughs> oh I love church. it. I love it. And he said, and I wanted to get up and say, I have a puppy and I'm so glad I can bring my puppy to church. Oh, <laughs> and it was cute. just such a cute, but it was, you know, I mean, the thing is our answers to prayers come in different ways. Paul is exhorting Timothy how to be an example to the believers. And, um, I am grateful for the ways that the men who lead our church are such incredible examples. They find mm -hmm. time to have meaningful professional lives, to love their wives, to love their families, and then to tirelessly share, like Paul, their testimonies, writing them new speeches, all the new talks, all the time. You know. Um, with us, and one of them that that um, that we one you know he says, "Be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine." President Monson, in October 2015, gave a talk titled "Be an Example and a Light." The talk was inspired both by the Sermon on the Mount, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven, and by this quote that I just read from the first letter to Timothy, be, an be thou an example to the believers. Um, President Monson observed, I believe the second scripture explains in great part how we can accomplish the first. We become examples of believers by living the gospel of Jesus Christ in word, in conversation, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. 
each of us came to earth having been given the light of Christ. And I just want to say here that some people call it something else, but it is that light, uh, or that holy bit that comes with us because we are God's children and we yeah. each have it. As we follow the example of the Savior, which is what we have to do, and live as he lived and as he taught, that light will burn within us and will light the way for others. As we read of Paul, we get to know a man who tried with all his strength to do that for the Lord and his children. And in President's Nonsense Talk, I wanted such a sweet poem. He said, he shared this sweet verse. I met a stranger in the night whose lamp had ceased to shine. I paused and let him light his darkened lamp from mine. A tempest sprang up later and shook the world about. And when the wind had died away, behold, my lamp was out. But back to me the stranger came. His lamp was glowing fine. He held the precious flame and with it lighted mine. I know that that. it's true that the good that we send out, the the light that we seek to show returns to us. It may not be from the same people to whom we give that light, but it will return to us. I have a testimony of that. I love that. It is true. Well, but even though we have the light and even though we try to be an example— it's dear a fearful time. We we live in times of, of that we can feel fear. But Christine, how do we deal with that fear? Well or how um, should we deal with that and, fear? And I think you see that fear, um, especially as you turn to um Second Timothy four, the very end of these two letters. And at them uh, we could see clearly that um, Paul knew mm-hmm. his end was coming. He knew yes. about the end. And, and I think of that so um, feeling of fear versus the way that he faced what was certainly right. coming. So it starts in um, 2 Timothy 4, and I'm going to start in verse 6, where he says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. And he's talking about his death. He knows that it's coming. And then I love this. It's like he wants Timothy to remember everything he's written before. Mm. So the first thing he says is, I fought a good fight. And I thought, what scripture has he written before in other epistles that you remember of fighting a good fight? Can you think of another one that he's written? I thought immediately of put on the whole armor armor of of God God. to fight the good fight. So then the next one he says is... he knew that they were in a battle. It was a was battle with good yeah, and evil. But he's used this analogy over and over again, this metaphor. Right. And so it's just so cute that he brings back the metaphor. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just so clever. And then the next one he says is, I have finished my course. And remember how often he used the running and the, the races. Run, yeah. right. run that you shall obtain. There's many people running the race, but run that you actually make it to the end. And oh, um, your might. I love that. And then at the last one. I have kept the faith. Mm-hmm. And I thought of his great faith, hope, and charity. And it's so cute that he uses those same beautiful, powerful scriptures I was in this final group. Isn't that just yes. so sweet? And then he says, Henceforth, there is uh, laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And so he really did have a perfect brightness of hope that he had done everything he could and that he knew as much as one could know that he was going to be before the Lord. 
And then he says, and not to me only, but unto all them that do love his appearing. And that's what really hit me was perfect love casteth out all fear. Mm-hmm. And as we see the future and, and are afraid, if we truly love the Lord and are looking forward to his coming, then all those other things are just little steps That's, on the way to that yes. great moment yes. of being with him again. So as I was thinking of that, Beautiful. what came to my mind was so many hymns that yes. celebrate I, oh, yes, loving. Today, today, well, I thought today. the first one I thought was <laughs> lovely appear. Oh, yeah. Which is love his appearing. And I'm like, do you remember that's, that one? Mm-hmm. But then I, I pulled out all of one. these hymns. So I'm going to say a line from a hymn. Oh, good. That talks about loving his appearing. And we'll okay. see if you can guess which hymn it's from. <laughs> oh, all so right. We'll see, this okay. is tricky all because right. I love games. <laughs> so, yes. so the first one's going to be really easy. When Jesus shows his smiling face, there is sunshine. In, in my soul. soul. And it's so funny to think about yes. loving the idea of Jesus smiling at you as opposed to worrying that when you pass, the Lord's going to be like, your kitchen was never completely clean. <laughs> for you know, like you always think he's going to yell at you instead of smile at you. So beautiful. Anyway. but um, I love it. It's so funny because I thought of different ones. I can't answer <laughs> because I was thinking of hymns too. I mean, you could see the oh, inspiration. Which one were you right. thinking Well, I'll tell you. No, I want to hear Okay. Yours. So the other one I thought is, um, when shall I regain thy presence and again behold thy face? Do you remember what that one is from? Yeah. You mean which hymn? Yes, or, which hymn? Do you remember um, what it's more from? Whole, so you're, um, you um, want, you're looking forward um, to, um, oh my Oh, my, oh, my father, father, thou who... Oh. Yep. Yes. Yeah, and then, thou, when shall I thy regain thy presence? Right. And it's something you're looking so forward to. Father, and, mother, that one talks about Right, mother. it does. And since he bids me seek his face, believe his word, and trust his grace, I'll cast on him my, my every care. care. And, okay. And, Do you remember that one? And wait for the... And, yeah, sweet, sweet hour of, of prayer. prayer. Sweet but, hour of prayer. but that idea that we're seeking his face, mm-hmm. and because we have that desire to be with him, mm-hmm. we cast on him our every care. Instead of holding it in and feeling guilty, right. we cast that care on him. Um, the hour is hastening on when we shall be forever with the Lord, when disappointment, grief, and fear are gone, sorrow forgot, love's purest joy restored. And then later it says, all safe and blessed. Oh, I love we that. We shall Him. meet at last. Oh, I love that one. Which one is it? I, I love that one. Be still, my Be soul. So, yes, I oh, love that. So and it is so beautiful. Okay, sorry. <clears throat> um, I love This that. one is one that no one ever sings, and I want to rewrite the words into a better tune, because the tune is terrible, but you the words are tunes. fabulous. They, they use different I know, tunes. but this is a newer one, and it says, Then come before God's presence with singing worship hymn, Express the heart too full to speak in one exultant hymn. That's beautiful. I don't know. Isn't that, that one. so beautiful? Right. It's when we never sing the songs of praise. Oh, but that idea so that you have joy, your heart is yeah. too full to speak because you've stepped into the Lord's presence. And the last one talks about sisters. Oh, sisters, let us join our hands. We'll humbly seek his face. 
assure our hearts before our Lord by deeds of love and praise. So you know it's O Sisters, so it's one of those sister ones. Yeah, and it's fun. not as sisters, sisters in Zion. And Zion. It's no. a key was turned in latter days about oh, the Relief Society. But I love that, that we'll seek his face and then show through our actions our love for him. Beautiful. But I do think that feeling of longing to be returned to the Savior Definitely. is something that we need to cultivate as we read the scripture. Well, along with that, just the chapter before in chapter 3, 2 Nephi chapter 3, it's a very famous chapter about the latter days. You mean Second Timothy. Second Timothy. I'm <laughs> sorry. Tempting. Thank you. Thank you. Second Timothy. That's cute. Um, chapter 3, where he says, This know also that in the last days perilous times will come, shall come. And, and I will say it's here. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Traitors, heady, <laughs> high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. I mean, as we go through this, all you have to do is open up the newspaper and you can see every single one. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such, turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses. And this is the one that I wanted to focus on. <laughs> they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, I, I do want to say that this idea of silly women, I don't think that it's just women. I think that it's men and women definitely in this. But exactly. silly people. We, when they say men, we add women. When they say women, we, we add, add men. men. <laughs> and I think that's appropriate. But I do think that as we, we look at this, I mean, how do we see all of these awful things creeping into our mm. homes? How do we see well, that? Well, the internet. I mean, it first was television, and it was, you know, bad books. And, bad, and now, I mean, it's just like, you know, I mean, it's truckloads. I did want to add another little thought that I had as I was looking into it, and um, and that is this idea of pornography as well. Oh, I was I very important. I, I thought it was interesting. I was on the phone and I realized I really don't do social media at all, and I was on the phone on Instagram, and the thing that just struck me was I was mostly trying to find my children. You know what I'm saying? Become Instagram friends with them, but came up on my phone uh, this a naked woman right. and I didn't touch anything and I can remember screaming to my husband and going ha, ha. I mean literally screaming I'm saying how do I get rid of this how do I get it off and I couldn't figure out and how because to get it was there it. now you're going to get more I know well and, and <laughs> it'll the, tag you Steve stopped it probably so <laughs> Steve stopped it. it you you need a that, <laughs> I mean I don't you do need any of it to because help you need get rid knows of it. more about the internet than <laughs> but you the do. thought that came into my mind is talk about creeping in into our homes. Right. I can't imagine a teenage boy seeing that and he didn't unbidden talk about creeping into right. his phone, not have any way and to do it. And the phones are the most dangerous. So I did want to just end this discussion with Elder Rasband. He gave a wonderful talk about, he was talking about his daughter that came to him and said, is it safe and wise to have children in this wicked and frightening world? And his answer was, yes, yes, it's more than okay. 
you know, we must do that. And then he gave us three suggestions that I want to just end with in this discussion about what we can do to make sure that that creeping into our home doesn't happen. He said, first, stand in holy places. Make sure that we go to the temple regularly and that our children go to the temple regularly. And then he said, the next thing is be not troubled. And I think that's an example for us, but also with our children, that we help them not be troubled. And then finally, trust the Lord and his promises, that we kind of focus on these promises that we have in the scriptures to be able to look at them and to understand that these are the promises that the Lord has given us and we can trust in them. They will happen. Now, Christine, I, you know, as we talk about this, I want you to also talk about some of these practical things where we adorn ourselves with good works. I think sometimes I think of, you know, the concern we have about our clothes and our jewelry and everything, but Paul's talking about something completely different here. I know. Well, and I love that um, in Isaiah 2, where it talks about the tinkling, you know, like women with their earrings and all their fancy things, whereas he says that um, in uh, 1 Timothy 2.10, but um, which becometh a woman professing godliness with good works. And that's how we should adorn ourselves, is with good works and godliness. And um, I thought, interestingly, of that quote from Sister Kimball um, about driving up to the pearly gates, and I found out she didn't say it. She quoted someone else. Did you know that? My dad, they attribute things to my father all the time. And so it's actually, we're going to say right now, it was Jack R. Christensen in a book called What's So Bad About Being Good? And that's where it comes from. Maybe he's quoting it from someone too. (laughs) Right, right. But um, I did think that was interesting because so often. But the quote says, I don't want to drive up to the pearly gates in a shiny sports car wearing beautifully tailored clothes with my hair expertly coiffed and with long, perfectly manicured nails. I want to drive up to the pearly gates in a station wagon that has Boy Scout equipment in the back seat. I want there to be grass stains on my shoes for mowing the lawn. I want there to be a smudge of peanut butter on my shirt for making sandwiches for a sick neighbor's child. I want there to be dirt under my fingernails from helping the 4-H'ers plant a garden. I want there to be children's sticky kisses on my cheeks and the tears of a friend, sorry, on my shoulder. I want God to know that I was really here and I really lived. Oh, And I was like, that is... Exactly how I That's love the living life. That That's is the adornment. The adornment. I agree. And it is adorning. It's interesting because I pulled out a, a shirt I was going to wear, and there was a big sticky chocolate kiss right on my tummy. That <laughs> one of my grandchildren just fit right so there and gave cute. me a big kiss. So, so I couldn't cute. wear it. But, That's um, adorable. It was it was very um, happy. So I did think it's that was good to fun. help us know that the, that as we are anxiously engaged in doing the Lord's work, that is the real adornment. Yeah. Because sometimes we still scramble to try to look our best, you know, and and that's it's and sometimes true. it is a scramble, you know, and and but we feel a certain responsibility to be a light, and we feel like, you know, we want to present that in a way that is has some kind of radiance, know. you know. Even as you get older, you know, they say it gets harder, but um, <laughs> but. I think that understanding that the real radiance is from the things that we do, which will take us eventually to James 2, that allow us to be doers of the world word and not just hearers. Absolutely. 
Well, and another thing that he brings up, and I we just were we're coming to the end, but I did want to just kind of touch on a couple of quick things. First one is that in Philemon, he very much talks about treating one another like brothers and sisters. And I think a lot about how we say brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so in our church. And I know, Annette, do you have a thought about about that? Well, yes. You, I, I, you know, Philemon is the shortest um, letter in the, in the scriptures, um, uh, the shortest epistle attributed to Paul. And um, it is very personal and very intimate. And it is beautiful because Philemon um, Onis, Onesimus, about whom the letter really is, and I want to talk about that, was an enslaved person. You know, nobody should be a slave. Nobody, right. nobody owns us. We are God's children, all of us. But he was, and there were laws surrounding that. He had been enormously helpful to Paul in different ways. People, there was, in some of the readings I read, that that he may have been actually in the textile business and help Paul with his business, which he was doing all the time because Paul was not taking money for mm -hmm. support usually. He was sending right. it to others. And Onesimus may have had skills that made him practically useful to Paul too. But Paul decides that he is going to, they decide together. It really reminded me, Onesimus reminded me of Isaac because Abraham was given this difficult commandment that he was he knew the Lord had said it that he was supposed to take Isaac up on Mount Moriah and sacrifice him but at that point he was very old right. he was well over a hundred years old Isaac was in the prime of his youth the only way that happened was that Isaac agreed to do it willing. and to me this letter of Philemon the message is Onesimus agreed to take this letter back yeah. he was a trusted fellow saint with Paul, and Paul exhorts Philemon to receive him as a brother, to receive him as someone who together is also working in the Lord's kingdom. And I think that that it is a beautiful manifestation of humility and faith on Philemon's part, I mean on Onesimus's part. Mm -hmm. We don't know what happened. We know though that Philemon was very devout and devoted. They had the church in their home. He, his wife must have been intimately involved. It is thought that perhaps his son, who is the third person that he greets, was sort of the bishop of that. You know, he conducted the meetings mm -hmm. and did all of that. He was dedicated. Mm -hmm. But, you know, sometimes when we get that, we still have a big thing about our property. And, mm -hmm. and I think Paul was saying, step back and look at our property as the Lord's and this mm -hmm. is one of the Lord's dedicated servants. Receive him as a brother. I love that. Well, well can I just say one yeah. word, though, sure. about in the Roman times that if you were made a servant, one of the things you could do was adopt that servant as a child and bring them up to the status of being yes. a Roman citizen. And so in addition to having him be a brother, this was an accepted practice. And so the, the servitude of this time was more a place of learning and mentoring to the point where they could go into society as a whole. Hopefully. So this was an, ex an acceptable practice. And of course, though. there is that beautiful metaphor that we are all slaves to sin. Right. And that through the Savior, we are made free. Right. As, right. And, and this is a, a literal metaphor 
but it is something that applies to every <laughs> single one of us. Well, and I wanted to end with with one uh, from First First Timothy six nine through ten, which is basically a scripture that oftentimes is talked about, especially in our materialistic world, where it says, "But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil." which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So that's the problem. And we live in a very materialistic world where it's all about what we have. And I was impressed with Elder Ballard gave a wonderful talk on what matters most is what lasts longest. And he said, rampant materialism and selfishness delude many into thinking that families and especially children are a burden and a financial millstone that will hold them back rather than a sacred privilege that will teach them to become more like God. And I was really struck by that because that kind of goes along with some of the other things that we've talked about. It's true. How powerful we need to be aware of what lasts longest. And how we teach our children. And if we do, if we are willing to make that commitment to pour ourselves into what matters most and what will last the longest because we believe those relationships are eternal, we will, we will understand the inconceivable, and I use that word advisedly, blessings that come from those children that we are blessed to be able to bring into our realm. But I think it's really interesting that Paul, in these two verses, gives us the problem, but then right after, he gives us the solution. So if you look at verse 11 through 12, this is the solution to that problem of materialism. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Goes back to the fighting. I love it. Lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. witnesses. Now, for me, this is the conclusion. This is what we must do to be able to fight off all of these difficult things that to we've talked not, about. To... Fear not. Fight, fight the good fight of faith and hold on to eternal life. Well, thank you so much for this wonderful discussion. It has been so fabulous talking about Paul's epistles with you today. Mm-hmm.